was uh, Tiffany Scott. Thank you very much for blessing us with that special, and there will come a day. Amen. Um, grab your bulletins for a moment. A lot is happening in the life of our church. This uh, month that is upon us, the month of September, is going to be a, a specially big month in the life of our church. Next week, uh, it is Labor Day week, and I hope you're going to make it a priority to be here at one of our two services. Kent will be preaching at both services, and it will mark the 28th ministry anniversary of the Hickersons serving at Clinton. And uh, that, that's awesome. Let me just tell you, that doesn't happen in, in churches ever, usually. And the fact that they've uh, blessed us with their presence and, and service for that long um, at least deserves your attendance next Sunday. So uh, please make it a priority to be here and to show your love and appreciation to Kent and Merla. Two weeks from today is the 10th anniversary of 9-11, just that tragic day that happened. It's hard to believe it's been 10 years. We're going to have very special services on Sunday morning. We've invited all of the county's first responders to be our special guests. We're going to honor them that day. We're going to remember what took place 10 years ago, and we're also going to look ahead. And uh, again, you will not want to miss that day. We've got some very special guests that are, are going to be with us that day. Later that day on September 11 are the kickoffs for both the grade school and the high school. And I think Ernie needs uh, some donations in the area of some cakes and two-liter bottles of pop. So if you can help, that's greatly appreciated. Four weeks from today, Apple and Pork Weekend, we just have one service at 9.30. We don't have any programming at the 8.15 or 11 o'clock hours, but we do have the one service at 9.30. That'll be a very special day. And then Wednesday, September 28th, uh, Families at First Returns. This will be our fourth year, believe it or not, of the Families at First program. And that very first night, we're doing something we've never done before. FCC's Got Talent. And you will not want to miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun that night. I think we're having a light supper at 5.30. And then, progr- then um, the, the program will take place at 6.30 right here in the sanctuary. We are uh, two weeks down, one week to go with our church directory photos. How many of you have had your pictures taken for the church directory? Okay, I'm seeing some hands not going up. I'm going to assume you have a slot reserved for this week. If you do not, it's not too late. You can go online, and if you don't know how to go online, Karen will help you. Is that fair to say? We'll get you plugged in somehow. We want to have as many pictures taken as possible. We're hoping to have those directories by the end of the year. And then just a little FYI, this coming weekend, Labor Day weekend's family camp. And I know at least seven families from our church are going to be out there. I hope you'll come out for family camp. It's hard to believe that we're already in week four of our four-week study on the book, uh, The Christian Atheist. We're calling the sermon series Practical Atheist. And I want to review with you where we've been up to this point. Maybe like Ralph and Merva, this is your first Sunday being here in this study. Week one, we looked at the big idea being, I believe in God, but I don't fear him. That's what a practical atheist might say. And we looked at Abraham and how Abraham truly not only trusted God, but he feared God. And he was willing to give up his most prized possession, his son Isaac, because he truly had a fear of the Lord. And the Lord blessed him, and it ended up being a great moment of relationship for them. We contrasted the story of Abraham that day with the story of King Jehoiakim of Judah, evil King Jehoiakim. You find that story in Jeremiah chapter 36. The word of the Lord, an oracle from the Lord, came to King Jehoiakim. It wasn't pretty. It went something along the lines of, you're a bad guy, you're doing evil in my eyes, you need to repent, you need to stop. 
And, and usually if God sends that message, you need to listen. Jehoiakim, as the word was read to him, cut the written word of God and burned it in his fire. Had no fear of God at all. That was week one. Week two, the big idea was, I believe in God, but I don't want to go overboard. I don't want to go overboard. And, and we looked at um, Saul. And the conversion that took place in Acts chapter 9. And how when he went from being a persecutor of Christianity to being converted, literally he saw the light. Literally on the way to Damascus, he saw the light and became a Christ follower. Immediately he was serving the Lord. Acts 9 tells us that immediately he was in the synagogue proving that Jesus was the Son of God. Proving that Jesus was the Christ. And I would say that was going overboard for the Lord. We contrasted that with the story of the church at Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3. They were so lukewarm in their faith. They were so good with having one foot in in the church and one foot in the world that the Lord said, you make me sick, I want to spit you out of my mouth. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. And man, that should just be a warning sign. For so many American Christians, because so many American Christians, we kind of want to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. We don't want to go overboard. We don't want to be a Jesus freak. We don't want to go over the top. Week three, the big idea was, I believe in God, but I trust in money. And we talked about how for many of us, money is where we find our happiness. Money is where we find our security. And yet we're called to to be very, uh, very much trusting of the Lord. We're called to put our trust in the Lord. And that's a real conundrum for many of us because we've been financially blessed. We look at the challenge of being very generous with your money, being cheerful as you give, to make a difference when it comes to a kingdom perspective. I do need to just tell you one story. Um, I shared the illustration about how a, a member of our church had blessed the minister's wives five years ago, bought them lunch at First Walk, and I kind of made a crack that I was going to be at El Rey on Monday, and everybody got a good laugh out of that. Well, I went out to lunch on Sunday. My mom came, kind of surprised us, and we're eating at the K&M Yak Shack, and someone came up and said, they've paid for your lunch. You don't have to pay for lunch today. So I was just like, wow, people actually listen. No, I'm just kidding. Well, the next day I thought, I need to take advantage of this. I went to bombs and I just started standing by a Corvette. <laughs> no, nothing happened, but, but it was worth a try. It was worth a try. And here we are today with week four. Week four, the big idea is I believe in God, but I don't know him. I believe in God, but I don't know him. Let's define what a practical atheist is. This is a working definition that we've given all the way through. A practical atheist is someone who believes in God, but they live their life as if he doesn't exist. And maybe if this is the first time that you're with us today, maybe that strikes a chord with you. Maybe you say in your innermost being, that's me. I believe in God, but I live my life as if there is no God. I live my life as if he doesn't exist. My prayer for you is that this would not just be a cute four-week series. That this wouldn't just be a, a study that, that is in one ear and out the other. But if that's you, that you would say, I want to live my life as if he does exist. And I want to live my life because he's Lord of my life. Because he's Savior of my soul.
In Titus 1.16, we see this verse of Scripture. It says, They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny Him. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny Him. And, and my guess is, you fall into one of three categories this morning when it comes to knowing God. And I'm going to go through those one at a time, but the bottom line this morning is, I want to ask you, do you know God? If I gave you a quiz on, on the character of God, would you get 100%? Or would it be like maybe that chemistry quiz that, that you had your sophomore year in school and you just were totally lost? Do you know God? If so, how well do you know God? Several years ago, I had an opportunity that, that I really, looking back on it, it means a lot more to me at 42 than it did to me at 33 when I went through this. But I was finishing my master's at Lincoln Christian Seminary, and for my thesis, uh, I had the opportunity to do a, like a, it ended up being like a 77-page paper. No one should ever have to do a 77-page paper, by the way. But it ended up being like a 77-page paper on the theology and the ministry of one of the people that I absolutely love to read and to listen to. His name is Dr. Tony Campolo. And uh, I've been a fan of his for years, but um, for about four months, I I read everything he had written. Not just books, but journals and magazines. And I started off as a fan of Dr. Campolo, but not really knowing him. He made me cry a couple times when I listened to a sermon. He told some good illustrations, but I didn't really know him. Well, as I dove in and I started going through that research... It was amazing um, what I uncovered. It was amazing what I learned. I learned that in several really important areas of the faith, I had some pretty significant disagreements with him theologically. I didn't know that. I had no idea until I really dove in and I started to study. Well, kind of the pinnacle of that whole process took place in June of 2003. I had the opportunity to sit with him for an hour and to interview him. Now, up to that point... I'd listened to sermons, I'd seen videos, I'd read books, I'd read magazine articles, but he actually was in my car for an hour. I had a little tape recorder going, I still have that recording by the way, and I was able to interview him and talk to him, and at the end of that hour, I knew him in a way I never thought I would get to know him. Because I invested time, I invested energy. It wasn't just listen to a sermon once a month. It wasn't just see him at a convention once a year. I really got to know Dr. Tony Campolo through that process. So what about you? How well do you know God? Well, let's dive in and let's look at this. Three categories that I think people fall into. Some people believe in God, but they just don't know him. That's number one. They believe in God, but they really don't know him. Don't forget that Gallup poll that we rolled out way back on August 7 said that 94% of Americans, not American Christians, but 94% of Americans believe in God or another higher power. There's a whole bunch of people in our country, a whole bunch of people in our state, let's be honest, a whole bunch of people in our community that say, yes, I believe in God. There is a God. My gut tells me that a whole bunch of them fall into this category right here. I believe in God, 
but I just don't know him. I don't know him. In 1 John chapter 2, we see kind of a, a working definition scripturally of what it means to know God. Here's what John says. He says, we know that we have come to know God if we, what's that say in blue? Obey his commands. Now the man who says, I don't know, it says I know him, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's harsh, isn't it? That sound harsh? Is that seeker-friendly? That doesn't seem very seeker-friendly to me. John doesn't care, by the way. He's saying, if you say you know him, but you don't do what he commands, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. An even more troubling passage of Scripture is found in Matthew chapter 7. It's at the very end of the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus tells stories about, you know, good tree, bad tree, He's going to end this sermon with the story of the wise man that built his house on the rock, the foolish man who built his house on the sand. But here's where he goes in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then a little bit later he says, I tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. I believe in God but I don't know him. That's category one. Category two are people that say, yes, I believe in God, and I know him, but I just don't know him well. I just don't know him well. Last week, um, I did something that I have really, just in reflecting, decided I should never do on Sunday morning ever again, and I sang a children's church song for you. I just need to get out of the singing business, leave it to the professionals. You know, why does every preacher want to be a singer and every singer want to be a preacher? I don't know, but that, that's, that's another story for another time. But um, in that, I told the story of Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus was a what? A wee little man. That's right, we love to say wee little man. And in, in, that, in that story, I, I sang that little song, and some of you, man, right away, you're with me. You know the story of Zacchaeus. You've been to Luke 19. Maybe you grew up going to children's church here, and you saw some goofy person like Ernie leading that song for you, although you don't lead singing anymore. But um, you knew it. But for some of you, you were looking at me like I've got two noses. Z- Zacchaeus, wee, wee little man. What are you talking about? You believe in God and you know Him, but you don't know Him well. Several years ago, not at this church, but in a, in a different preaching context, I, um, I addressed the topic of homosexuality. Everyone got real quiet right there, didn't we? And in the process of doing it, I tried to present what I believe the Bible has to say about that. That it is outside God's will for your life, my life, or any other life to engage in active homosexual behavior. That's just, that's what I think the Bible says. I think if you'd study the Bible, you would say that's what the Bible says. Some of the notes that I received were were troubling. They, They were notes along the lines of, you know, it's nice that that's what the Bible says, but you live in America in 2004. You, you can't have that opinion. That's not an acceptably politically correct position. You're going to get yourself in trouble. You probably offended some people along the way. 
course, those notes were anonymous. Couldn't follow up on it. There's always something about an anonymous note that, that frees you in many ways. But, but the point is this. Those are people that probably believe in God. And they would say they have some knowledge of Him. But they don't know Him well. Now, I'm not just beating up on that issue this morning. You know, if you have a problem with gossip, I'm just going to lay it on the line for you this morning. And you continue to gossip you don't know God well. You don't know His Word well. You know what the New Testament has to say about gossipers? It's ugly. Not pretty at all. I could go on and on and on with a laundry list. These are people that know God but don't know Him well. Here's what Galatians 4 says. Galatians 4 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved again? The Apostle Paul saying, if you believe in God and you know Him, quit living your life like you don't. Quit living your life like there is no Word of God. Quit living your life like He doesn't exist. There's a third category, category number three. Category number three is this. Some people believe in God and they know Him intimately and they serve Him wholeheartedly. And that's my hope for you, whoever you are. If it's your first Sunday here, or if you've been here literally your entire life, that's my hope for you, that you will know God intimately, and you'll serve Him wholeheartedly. I can always tell how well somebody knows me based on what they call me. When the telephone rings and says, is Gregory there? Guess what? I know it's either my mom calling and I'm in trouble, or they don't know me at all, because I don't go by Gregory. There's nothing wrong with that, but I, I've never been known as Gregory. If someone comes up to me and says, hey, pastor, how are you? Hey, minister, how are you? I know that you know me as the minister of First Christian Church. We, we have a, a, a pastor, member of the flock relationship, and that, that's a better relationship than the person that's saying, how are you doing, Gregory? Now, there are some people that know me as professor. You're saying professor? Yeah, I teach a class at Lincoln Christian University. So when people say Professor Taylor, which I hate that title, but when they say Professor Taylor, I realize that that's the context in which they know me. They're probably still mad that they got an F on that paper two years ago. That, that's how they connect with me. Some people refer to me as GT. And if they call me GT, I know we go back a long ways. They know stories about me that I'm hoping you'll never find out. You know, we've sworn each other to secrecy type of a thing. We go back to the high school days, okay? I have a couple people in my life that call me Tay, T-A-Y. And I know we lived in a dormitory together. We went through an awful lot together. We stayed up till 5 o'clock in the morning together writing IDS papers, if you call me Tay. And then there are some people, they call me dad, or they call me daddy. There's actually two. And I'd say they know me better than probably anybody in the sanctuary right now. And there's one person that calls me her little stud muffin. I won't go down that road today. I'll leave that alone. You didn't think I'd use that in first service, did you? 
It's the shirt. See, it's the shirt. It loosens you up a, a little bit. Do you know what God well? Do you know him intimately? And are you willing to serve him wholeheartedly? Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalmist 63. Listen to this prayer. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. Beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I'll lift up my hands. Those are the words of someone that knew God intimately and gave his entire life in service to him. What about Psalm chapter 9, verse 10? Those who know your name will trust you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this message? What do we do with this series? Listen to the Apostle Paul's prayer. For the church at Ephesus, he had a very special relationship with this church at Ephesus. And I love this prayer that he prays in Ephesians 1, beginning with verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength. Three things I want you to focus on. They're bolded. We're going to put them up on the screen separately. Know him better. Make that your goal. I want to know the Lord better. However strong my relationship is today, however weak my relationship with the Lord is today, I want to know Him better. Number two, be enlightened. I I love when I read God's Word, this happens to me all the time, and the light bulb goes on inside my head. It happened this week a couple times. I love when that happens. And then finally, know the hope. Know the hope. Three challenges I want to leave you with today, and I'm almost done. Um... These are not throw-ins. This is, in my opinion, the most important part of this message, the most important part of this month. This is, the, this is the so what. What do I do with this message? Where do I take this? And number one is this. I want to challenge you to immerse yourself in, in the Word of God. To immerse yourself in the Bible. I'm, I'm so proud of so many of you because you attempted to read through the Bible in 90 days, and many of you completed it, and some of you didn't, and I want to tell you, I'm incredibly proud of you, uh, those of you that tried. It's an incredible, incredible undertaking. It was really cool to hear one of our um, elders yesterday, maybe the oldest elder in the room, just share the blessing that he received from reading through the Bible cover to cover this year. said he hadn't done it since he was in high school. That, 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 uh, that warmed my heart in many ways. And I want you to have that experience. We're rolling out a challenge in two weeks. You've heard about 75 days through the New Testament. You're going to read either three or four chapters a day as you go through that challenge. Um, 15 minutes is what we're talking about. The blog is going to be up and running every day. There's going to be postings on the blog. We're going to have some guest bloggers along the way. Some of you are looking at me like, where's the blog? We'll give you that information. Um, GregTaylorFCC.wordpress.com. We'll put it in the newsletter. We'll put it in the bulletin. Immerse yourself 
in the Word of God. You will not be disappointed. That's the first thing I want to throw out. Number two, I would love for you to make prayer a priority in your life. So many of us, and and some of you, as you've read through that book, The Christian Atheist, the thing that's really grabbed you more than anything else is the chapter that, that he writes about prayer. I believe in God, but not in prayer. And that's where many of us are. Prayer seems boring. Prayer seems irrelevant. Some people say, does it really do any good? Is, is anybody listening? And I want to just, I want to challenge you to, to make prayer a priority in your life. Every day, spend some time in prayer. Get a little notebook. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Get a little notebook and, and, and jot down prayer possibilities, things you need to pray for, things you could pray for. Take a different day each week and pray for something different. Pray for your church one day. Pray for your ministers one day. Pray for your country one day. We're commanded in the Bible to pray for our leaders. Pray for your local leaders one day. I'm giving you four days right there. Boom, 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 boom. Make prayer a priority. And again, I I don't like to do this, but four weeks from today, one service Sunday, the entire message is going to be on prayer. That's all we're going to talk about that day. We're going to look at Jesus and a lesson we can learn from his life, the the place that prayer played in his life. And you're thinking, wasn't Jesus fully God, fully man? Did he need to pray? The answer is yes. So make prayer a priority. And then number three, experience the joy of serving the Lord. There's something about reading God's word that makes it come alive. There's something about opening up your pocketbook and giving that, that, you know, I I think gives you a sense of commitment in many ways. There's something about prayer that, that, that at least in my life, is um, very mystical in a positive way in many ways. But what I have seen more than anything else that has helped take people from maybe I'm going to say level A or B of the faith up to level C or D of the faith is when they roll up their sleeves and they begin to serve. I've never met someone, by the way, that said, Pastor, I never served, and then I started serving, and boy, was that a mistake. Boy, do I wish I wouldn't do that. I've never, ever had that testimony. But I've had testimony after testimony after testimony of people that say, I I rolled up my sleeves, I started serving, and it's made all the difference in the world. Now, some of you are saying, how can I serve? I'm going to give you six possibilities right now, real quickly. Um, we have some special needs children at our church that require a, a one-on-one commitment. And they're wonderful, wonderful kids. And right now we have people like Kenji Underwood and Brett Hitchings that, that give up a lot of their Sunday morning to, to help. We need some help for Kenji and Brett and for others. You may say, what training do you have to have? We'll let you know how that unfolds. But that'd be a great way to plug in and serve. If that's you, write special needs, your name, and give it to Ernie on on an attendance card. We'll get you plugged in sometime this fall. Wednesday nights, Ernie is looking for people that will just simply be helpers. Now I say simply, not because it's insignificant, but because it doesn't require a lot of training. You could plug in on Wednesday nights and make a huge difference 
with our Families at First program. Ernie's looking for help on Sunday evening. Same thing in, in the helper arena. The teachers are good. He needs help when it comes to helpers. What about our funeral dinner ministry? People like Louise Moore, Clarine Arnold, Goldie Hedrick, Jane Ann Thomas, Audrey Sessions. They do a wonderful job with this ministry. They're always looking for people that can help, whether that's providing food or actually coming to the funeral dinner and helping set up or tear down or serve. We'd love to have you plug in. What about our Sunday morning fellowship time? What a great opportunity there is every Sunday from 1030 to 11 in our Family Life Center to be very involved in this incredible, incredible fellowship opportunity. We're always looking for people. Write on your card, Greg Taylor, fellowship, turn it in. And then finally, and, and this is an underserved need, um, you probably noticed that people like uh, Tim Wimphy and Danny Bundy and others are at the door when you come in. They help park cars in the winter. They help warm up cars. We're always looking for people that can join them in that incredible need. Some of you have been blessed by that for years. We need some younger people that will plug in and will help. You will not regret plugging in and serving the Lord, and it will help take your relationship with the Lord to a whole new level. Bottom line for this entire message is this. Get to know God. My prayer for you is that you would know Him Let's pray. God, thanks for today. And thank you for, um, for a challenging four weeks, sometimes a difficult four weeks. But I thank you so much for, for the opportunity to get to know you better. I pray this fall, as hundreds of us read through your New Testament in uh, two and a half months, that your word would come alive. I pray that as many of us today make a commitment to begin to serve you, that the blessing of serving you would be poured out. And we'd realize we're making a difference for your kingdom. God, thank you for the difference a relationship with your son Jesus makes. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Greg. What a great body.